Good morning, everyone. Uh, our reading of today is taken from First Corinthians, chapter two, verse ten to sixteen. Here it reads: The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirits within them? In the same way, no one knows the thought of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in the world's thought as by human wisdom, but in the world's thought by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with the Spirit's thought words. The person without the Spirit does not, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord as so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of God. Let's pray for Mark. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us for, for this time. This is the important times to listen to the word of internal life. God, please give Mark a wisdom and fill him with the Holy Spirit so that he will speak your word with clarity, faith, faithfulness, and also help us to understand your word. Thank you, Jesus, for all this. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you who are visitors, I'm uh, Mark Wilson, the interim pastor here at uh, St. Paul Union Church. Delighted to have you with us, as well as uh, your reg regular uh, attendees. Last week, we began a series in the book of 1 Corinthians, laying a foundation about who the Corinthians were, where they lived. As Paul was writing to them from Ephesus as he was there during his third missionary journey. And right away, Paul addressed the issue of divisions in the church. And he ended his discussion in verse 17 of chapter 1 with this declaration. He said he didn't come to the Corinthians to baptize them, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And with that verse, he set up now the next section that we are looking at today, a section I've entitled, The Cross as Messaging, Human Foolishness or Divine Wisdom. So what do we mean by messaging and how is it divined, defined today? Well, if any of you have a marketing background or something in business as well, you understand that messaging is a system or a process of transmitting messages. It's a marketing buzzword that refers to how an organization talks about itself and the values that it promotes. 
Messaging then is an approved set of key points or messages an organization uses to communicate about something with the target audience. Well, today we're objects of messaging of all sorts. Communication experts tell us that advertisers use messaging to create product awareness with us as potential buyers. They estimate that we receive something like 4,000 messages every day related to logos, products, ads, television, radio, newspapers, pop-up ads online, social media, text messages, 4,000 a day. I mean, we don't even realize the messaging that assaults us on a daily basis. In fact, that's so constant that we scarcely pay attention to it anymore. Well, messages may be a term of messaging of modern communication theory. It also relates to the proclamation of the gospel. Paul had a message to communicate. However, he and the apostles had a messaging problem. What was it? Well, their logo, their brand, was the cross. And crucifixion was considered the most shameful and disgraceful way to die in the ancient world. Only slaves and rebels and pirates, the worst criminals, died by crucifixion on a cross. His Corinthian audience knew that scarcely a century before, during the great slave rebellion, We've seen the movie, we've seen the TV series about Spartacus that he led somewhere in the 70s BC, finally defeated by the Roman army. And the captives from that rebellion, 5,000 of them, were crucified. And they lined the Via Appia. This is the road that Paul later would walk on his way to Rome. 5,000 were crucified along the Via Appia, from Capua to Rome, a distance of about 150 kilometers. This was crucifixion in the ancient world. And this was a message now that Paul was announcing here, right at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians. So the apostles were proclaiming that Jesus died in this shameful way of crucifixion. And so... Right up front now, he addresses it with the Corinthians. In our passage today, and we didn't have time to read the entire section, running from chapter 118 through 216, Paul is discussing how the message of the cross compares to the message of wisdom that's offered by the world. In these 31 verses, Paul presents his case step by step And he concludes with a dramatic announcement in the final verse. Through this section, he repeats two key words that underscores his messaging. The first of these is wisdom, Sophia. The Greek word Sophia is wisdom. He uses it 19 times in these 31 verses. He also uses pneuma, spirit, 14 times. Wisdom. Spirit, part of the messaging that Paul uses here with the Corinthians. He also builds his argument 
around four quotations from Isaiah and Jeremiah. And through this, he shows that the prophets had likewise addressed these same issues of messaging in their day. First of all, the messaging about the cross in verses 18 through 25. Paul notes that the message is received in two ways in the world. As he's gone from city to city throughout the Eastern Mediterranean proclaiming the gospel of Christ, he observes that, in fact, it's a message of foolishness foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it's God's power. In fact, the cross is like a spiritual life preserver. Someone adrift at sea may or not may or may not believe the lifesaver will save his life. If they do, they will be saved. If they don't, they'll drown. And here he quotes Isaiah 25, 29, 14, excuse me, to illustrate his point about true wisdom. The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. We'll say more about this later. He's not putting down wisdom or intelligence here, but in the way that the world uses it. Human wisdom lifts up philosophers and other so-called smart people. But those people are rendered foolish in God's eyes. As he's gone about preaching his gospel, he's found that the Jews in his audience have demanded signs. And when those were not delivered, we see this in Jesus' ministry they then became a stumbling block to receiving the message of the gospel. Now, on the other hand, the Gentiles that he's spoken to, proclaiming the gospel, seek wisdom. And when he mentions the cross, this becomes foolishness in their eyes. The idea then that the Savior of the world would die on a cross was simply preposterous to people on the street in the ancient world. No one was wearing a cross around their necks in the early church. You've heard it compared to today if someone was wearing a miniature electric chair or hangman's noose around the neck to represent the Savior who died by modern means of capital punishment. Paul says it's only for the Jews and Gentiles who Paul calls saints, holy ones, in the beginning of his letter, is the cross then the power and wisdom of God for salvation? In verses 26 through 31, he talks about the recipients of the message as he reflects on who in the Corinthian audience uh, comprises the congregation in the city. And he notes three aspects about God's holy people in Corinth as well as in the other cities who have received the gospel. He says, not many of you are wise. That is, you're not philosophers, you're not influential, you're not the movers and shakers in ancient society, the elite. Not many of them had royal blood, descended from important families. Number two, he says that, in fact, it's the weak It's the non-influential people who are called by God rather than the upper classes. 
Number three, he says, it's the have-nots, the lowly, the despised, who could boast in the Lord, unlike the haves would boast of their own wisdom. As we look at the demographics of the early church, who responded to this message? There was a high percentage of slaves, men and women, high percentage of working people, of merchants, sailors, those who did not have status. There were a few upper-class people, but they were clearly in the minority. So why did those with status not respond to the gospel? Well, for the same reasons today. A loss of reputation, a loss of position, even possibly wealth. They were the ones who had the most to lose by becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, this Messiah who died on the cross. The poor had nothing to lose and everything to gain. A hope not only in this life, but in a life to come. Why did God choose such an undistinguished group of followers? Paul finds the reason expressed in Jeremiah 9.24. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. It was the poor then who were willing to boast in something other than their own status in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people in the congregations then were not viewing wisdom as some abstract philosophical reality, but rather for them and for us today. Christ Jesus is the visible manifestation of God's wisdom. And we receive that through the expression of righteousness and holiness and redemption in our lives. Paul next talks about himself as the messenger in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And he reminds of his audience about when he came to Corinth preaching the gospel on his second journey. We know in Acts chapter 17, the backdrop to Paul's arrival in the Roman province of Achaia when he came to Athens. Remember the story there. He's preaching first in the synagogue in the city. Then he goes out into the agora, into the marketplace, engaging with those who would listen to him. Now, it's important to remember in the ancient world, Paul is not unique in going around. They had what's called peripatetic philosophers who traveled from city to city, who rented spaces like the Hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus, who were presenting their version of philosophy and ideas and religion. So Paul is competing in a marketplace of ideas and individuals all messaging different things. And so Paul is doing the same thing now publicly in the city of Athens. And he gains the attention of some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who invite him to the Areopagus there, near the, either on or near the Acropolis that we see in Athens today. And there he presents the message of the gospel to those who are gathered there. Well, as you know in the story, all is going well until he gets to that part about the cross 
the death of Jesus, and the resurrection. Then it all falls apart. Why? Because the whole issue of crucifixion for Stoic and Epicurean philosophers is foolishness. They also did not believe that the human body could be resurrected, that it was at its death the body had no role in future everlasting life. And so the result of Paul's preaching there on Mars Hill was people laughed at him. They mocked him. But we're told that there were a few who did respond to his message, who wanted to hear more. A woman by the name of Damaris and a man by the name of Dionysius. He came to Corinth preaching the same message. And again, those in his congregation had responded to that same message. And now he reminds the Corinthians that his message may lack the sophistication and eloquence. Now, Paul is being humble here. I mean, he is very trained in rhetoric and oratory. I mean, he knows how to get people's attention. If he was not a good speaker, trust me, these philosophers would not have invited him to Mars Hill to lay out his particular messaging about the cross. So he's being a little bit uh, self-humiliating here in terms of his, uh, his presentation, but he's trying to argue the fact that he is not grounding his message then in human eloquence and sophistication. But Paul tells us his words had something that these philosophers didn't have. He said they had a demonstration of the Spirit's power. As we read in the book of Acts, in city after city where Paul is proclaiming the gospel, what happens? Sick people came and were healed. Those who were demonized came and they were set free. Those who needed miracles in their lives, things happened to them, changing their lives because Paul was preaching a message not of the cross that was demonstrated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was preaching a a faith to believers that did not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. And Paul tells us here that the wisdom of the cross is a mystery that had formerly been hidden, but now had been revealed to those who were believers. And he sees this intimated in Isaiah 64, 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard No eye has perceived. We sang this this morning. No eye has seen any God besides you who acts acts on behalf of those who wait for him. When you came to faith, was your experience similar? Was it based on human wisdom? Was the message of the cross initially foolishness to you? I'm sure it was. But as the Holy Spirit began to touch your heart and to transform your human thinking to the perspective of heaven, 
we were touched by a divine wisdom that showed us that the cross of Jesus Christ was meant for the salvation of each one of us. You can't argue or persuade someone to come to faith. It really comes by divine revelation, doesn't it? At some point, the lights just get turned on in your spirit, and you say, yes, Jesus. And Paul was talking to an audience who had been transformed by the wisdom of God. Paul then talks about the source of his message, which Alex read a few minutes ago. And if you've not heard anything else I've said this morning, please focus in on this. This is the core of what Paul is saying as he concludes his whole discussion of divine wisdom. This is a section that's very difficult. It's very difficult in the Greek text. It's very difficult to translate because Paul is talking about deep things of the spirit here. I struggle with this all week again. How, I pray, Lord, how do I convey this to those here at St. Paul Union Church to understand what Paul is trying to get across? Let's try. Paul says that the revelation of divine wisdom that's been demonstrated through the cross now culminates in this discussion of the Holy Spirit. We see this emphasis in these verses then uh, of the Spirit. He begins by drawing an analogy from human psychology. He says, just as our human spirits know our own innermost thoughts, he says, so the Holy Spirit knows the innermost depths of God and his wisdom. So in other words, as we think about ourselves and who we are as people, we're in touch with those innermost parts of our heart uh, through our mind, through our brain, through our spirits. And it's this same spirit then that brings us then the thoughts of God. But in order to tap into these, he says, we have to receive God's spirit at the new birth. He says, at that time, then, our minds can be spiritually reprogrammed to understand everything that God has given to us. Remember, before you were a believer in Christ, you tried to read the Bible. You have discussions about Jesus and whatnot, and you just aren't getting it. You know, it, you're, you're thinking through these kind of things, but, but it's, it finally doesn't click. And then... When Jesus comes into your life, suddenly, like there's revelation, you get it. You understand the gospel. You understand what Jesus is saying to you. It's because the Holy Spirit now is communicating those deep things of God to us. And as you know, this is a progressive thing. We grow in our engagement with God through the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that, he and the apostles, indeed all believers now, have a new vocabulary of wisdom. And this vocabulary is not drawn from human teaching, but it's teaching from the Spirit. 
In other words, spiritual words are now interpreted to us as people of the Spirit. Again, natural people cannot understand the deep wisdom of God. It continues to be foolishness to them. It's not understandable. Again, because divine wisdom must be spiritually discerned. And Paul makes the bold statement that we as spiritual people can discern all matters of divine wisdom. Why? Because we have received the Holy Spirit. This is why when we read scripture, as we read it, we we just feel like that the Spirit is uh, inspiring and giving us understanding of what God is speaking to us uh, through the Word of God. We couldn't understand that before. And Paul concludes with a quotation here from Isaiah 40, 13. Who knows the mind of the Lord? Who will instruct him? Well, Paul's going to answer that. We are instructed now because we have received the Holy Spirit. And he gives a stunning answer here to conclude this passage. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We can now understand the messaging of the cross. We can understand how the death of Jesus brings all the wisdom that God offers. In fact, as we proceed through the book of Corinthians and Paul talks about sexuality, human sexuality, he talks about marriage, he's going to talk about singleness, he's going to talk about lawsuits. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. Why can the Corinthians understand these things? Because they have the mind of Christ that's mediated through the Holy Spirit to God. And now, as each one of us are in Christ ourselves, we have that same mind of Christ. It's transformational. We do not think as the world thinks any longer because, again, we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit who now lives in us, and Paul is going to discuss the role of the Spirit much more later when he talks about the fact that not only do we have the mind of Christ, but we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. All of God's mysteries are now revealed to us and we understand the way of salvation and our role as God's chosen holy people. Having the mind of Christ now brings us new knowledge and wisdom, but it also brings responsibility. And as we continue through the book of Corinthians, we're going to be understanding more what those responsibilities are all about. In conclusion, just a few thoughts. Paul's discussion of wisdom and the Spirit leaves several questions for us to address. What is our messaging about the gospel here at St. Paul Union Church? As people come in, and as you know, we have frequently people stay, stand up and say, this is the first time I've ever been in a church service. 
people who are curious, who come to see what Christianity is all about? Do we dumb down our proclamation about the cross and resurrection because it's foolishness? Do we not talk about Jesus as son of God and son of man because that is confusing to our audience potentially? Do we not talk about the triune nature of God because it seems foolish to those around us? Or do we continue to proclaim the same message that Paul and the other apostles declared in the first century? A challenge today. As we move to a personal level, is the basis of our judgments and decision-making still human wisdom? Do we lapse in, into that area? Or are we seeking the wisdom of God for every aspect of our lives? Which person dominates our lives? Is it the natural person with its worldly thoughts, its desires? Or is it the spiritual person that really is our identity in Christ now? This is our true identity. Remember we talked about last, last week, we're saints, we're holy ones. We're not sinners any longer. By nature, we are transformed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are we desiring the things of God? Since we have the mind of Christ, do we function in that mind? Or do we still default to our own human mind and way of thinking? In this passage, Paul is stretching us, isn't he? As we understand the difference between human and divine wisdom, with the cross as its center, the demarcation point there, it takes us from the world's way of thinking into that of the kingdom of God. He's stretching us to adopt new messaging about Jesus and our spiritual identities. Again, that are driven by the Holy Spirit and not by the world. We, successful disciples of Jesus, must operate in the mind of Christ and not in the mind of human wisdom. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge that Paul has laid down for the Corinthians and lays down for us today. Lord, well, uh, everybody thinks they're smart. Everybody thinks they're wise out there in the world today. They, everybody has something to say. But Lord, your message remains the same. The cross of Jesus Christ, Lord God, that has touched our lives, has transformed us, Lord, individually and corporately into a holy people. And Father, I just pray for each person here this morning, Lord, that they would realize that through the Spirit, they have the mind of Christ. Lord, in their decision-making, in their judgments, and all that they do, help us to progressively, Lord God, yield the natural part of ourselves to allow the spiritual person to predominate. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.